0: Section Eleven of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Stolen Jewels. Once on a time, when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisatta, having perfected his education, became one of the king's ministers. One day, the king, with a large following, went into his pleasance, and after walking about the woods, felt a desire to disport himself in the water. So he went down into the royal tank and sent for his harem. The women of the harem, removing the jewels from their heads and necks and so forth, laid them aside with their upper garments and boxes under the charge of female slaves, and then went down into the water. Now as the queen was taking off her jewels and ornaments and laying them with her upper robe on a box, she was watched by a female monkey, which was hidden in the branches of a tree hard by conceiving a longing to wear the queen's pearl necklace this monkey watched for the slave in charge to be off her guard at first the girl kept looking all about her in order to keep the jewels safe but as time wore on she began to nod as soon as the monkey saw this quick as the wind she jumped down and quick as the wind she was up the tree again with the pearls round her own neck then for fear the other monkeys should see it she hid this string of pearls in a hole in the tree and sat on guard over her spoils as demurely as though nothing had happened. By and by, the slave awoke and, terrified at finding the jewels gone, saw nothing else to do but scream out, A man has run off with the queen's pearl necklace! Up ran the guards from every side and, hearing this story, told it to the king. Catch the thief, said his majesty and away went the guards, searching high and low for the thief in the pleasance. Hearing the din, a poor superstitious rustic took his heels in alarm. "'There he goes!' cried the guards, catching sight of the runaway, and they followed him up till they caught him, and with blows demanded what he meant by stealing such precious jewels. Thought he, "'If I deny the charge, I shall die with the beating I shall get from these ruffians. I better say I took it.' So he confessed to the theft, and was hauled off a prisoner to the king. "'Did you take those precious jewels?' asked the king. "'Yes, your majesty. Where are they now?' "'Please, your majesty, I'm a poor man. I've never in my life owned anything, even a bed or a chair, of any value, much less a jewel. It was the guildmaster who made me take that valuable necklace, and I took it and gave it to him.' he knows all about it.' Then the king sent for the guildmaster, and asked whether the rustic had passed the necklace on to him. "'Yes, sire,' was the answer. "'Where is it, then?' "'I gave it to your majesty's family priest.' Then the priest was sent for, and interrogated in the same way, and he said he had given it to the chief musician, who in his turn said he had given it to a courtesan as a present.' but she, being brought before the king, utterly denied ever having received it. Whilst the five were thus being questioned, the sun set. "'It's too late now,' said the king. "'We will look into this to-morrow.' So he handed the five over to his ministers and went back into the city. Hereupon the Bodhisatta fell a-thinking. "'These jewels,' thought he, "'were lost inside the grounds while the rustic was outside.' There was a strong guard at the gates, and it was impossible for anyone inside to get away with the necklace. I do not see how anyone, whether inside or out, could have managed to secure it. The truth is, this poor wretched fellow must have said he gave it to the guildmaster merely in order to save his own skin, and the guildmaster must have said he gave it to the priest in the hope that he would get off if he could mix the priest up in the matter." Furthermore, the priest must have said he gave it to the chief musician, because he thought the latter would make the time pass merrily in prison, whilst the chief musician's object in implicating the courtesan was simply to solace himself with her company during imprisonment. Not one of the whole five has anything to do with the theft. On the other hand, the grounds swarm with monkeys, and the necklace must have got into the hands of one of the female monkeys." When he had arrived at this conclusion, the Bodhisatta went to the king with a request that the suspects might be handed over to him, and that he might be allowed to examine personally into the matter. By all means, wise friend, said the king, examine into it. Then the Bodhisatta sent for his servants, and told them where to lodge the five prisoners, saying, Keep strict watch over them, listen to everything they say, and report it all to me. Then his servants did as he bade them. As the prisoners sat together the guildmaster said to the rustic tell me you wretch where you and i ever met before this day tell me when you gave me that necklace worshipful sir said the other it has never been mine to own aught so valuable even as a stool or bedstead that wasn't rickety i thought that with your help i should get out of this trouble and that's why i said what i did be not angry with me my lord said the priest in turn to the guildmaster How, then, you came to pass on to me what this fellow had never given to you. I only said so because I thought that if you and I, both high officers of state, stand together, we can soon put the matter right. Brahmin, now said the chief musician to the priest, when, pray, did you give the jewel to me? I only said I did, answered the priest, because I thought you would help to make the time pass more agreeably. Lastly the courtesan said— "'Oh, you wretch of a musician! "'You know you never visited me, nor I you. "'So when could you have given me the necklace, as you say?' "'Why be angry, my dear,' said the musician. "'We have got to keep our house together for a bit, "'so let us put a cheerful face on it and be happy together.' This conversation being reported to the Bodhisatta by his agents, he felt convinced the five were all innocent of the robbery, and that a female monkey had taken the necklace and I must find a means to make her drop it," said he to himself. So he had a number of bead-necklaces made. Next he had a number of monkeys caught and turned loose again, with strings of beads on their necks, wrists, and ankles. Meantime the guilty monkey kept sitting in the trees watching her treasure. Then the Bodhisatta ordered a number of men to observe every monkey in the grounds carefully, till they saw one wearing the missing pearl-necklace, and then frighten her into dropping it. Tricked out in their new splendor, the other monkeys strutted about till they came to the real thief, to whom they said, See our necklaces? Jealousy overcoming her prudence, she exclaimed, They're only beads, and put on her own necklace of real pearls. This was at once seen by the watchers, who promptly made her drop the necklace, which they picked up and brought to the Bodhisatta. He took it to the king, saying, Here, sire, is the necklace. The five prisoners are innocent. It was a female monkey in the pleasance that took it. How came you to find that out? asked the king. And how did you manage to get possession of it again? Then the Bodhisatta told the whole story, and the king thanked the Bodhisatta, saying, You are the right man in the right place. And he uttered this stanza in praise of the Bodhisatta. For war-men crave the hero's might, for counsel-sage sobriety, boon-comrades for their jollity, but judgment when in parlous plight. Over and above these words of praise and gratitude, the king showered treasures upon the Bodhisatta like a storm-cloud pouring rain from the heavens. After following the Bodhisatta's counsels through a long life spent in charity and good works, the king passed away to fare thereafter according to his deserts. THE TOO CLEVER MERCHANT Once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisatta was born into a merchant's family, and on name-day was named Wise. When he grew up, he entered into partnership with another merchant named Wisest, and traded with him. And these two took five hundred wagons of merchandise from Benares to the country districts where they disposed of their wares, returning afterwards with the proceeds to the city. When the time for dividing came, Wisest said, "'I must have double share.' "'Why so?' asked Wise. "'Because while you are only wise, I am wisest, and wise ought to have only one share to wisest two. "'But we both had an equal interest in the stock and trade, and in the oxen and wagons. Why should you have two shares?' "'Because I am wisest.' And so they talked away till they fell to quarrelling. Ah, thought Wisest, I have a plan, and so he made his father hide in a hollow tree, enjoining the old man to say, when the two came, Wisest should have a double portion. This arranged, he went to the Bodhisatta and proposed to him to refer the claim for a double share to the competent decision of the tree divinity. Then he made his appeal in these words, Lord, decide our cause. Hereupon the father, who was hidden in the tree, in a changed voice, asked them to state the case. The cheat addressed the tree as follows. "'Lord, here stands wise, and here stand I, wisest. We have been partners in trade. Declare what share each should receive.' "'Wise should receive one share, and wisest two, was the response." Hearing this decision, the Bodhi sought to resolve to find out whether it was indeed a tree divinity or not. So he filled the hollow trunk with straw and set it on fire. And wisest's father was half roasted by the rising flames and clambered up by clutching hold of a bough. Falling to the ground, he uttered this stanza Wise rightly, wisest wrongly got his name. Through wisest, I'm nigh roasted in the flame. Then the two merchants made an equal division, and each took half, and at their deaths passed away to fare according to their deserts. THE LOQUACIOUS BRAHMAN Once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisatta was one of the king's courtiers, and the king's family priest of those days was so talkative and long-winded that when he once started, no one else could get a word in. So the king cast about for someone to cut the priest short, and looked high and low for such an one. Now at that time there was a cripple in Benares, who was a wonderful marksman with stones, and the boys used to put him in a little cart and draw him to the gates of Benares, where there was a large branching banyan tree covered with leaves. There they would gather round and give him halfpence, saying, Make an elephant, or Make a horse, and the cripple, would throw stone after stone till he had cut the foliage into the shapes asked for, and the ground was covered with fallen leaves. On his way to his pleasance the king came to the spot, and all the boys scampered off in fear of the king, leaving the cripple there helpless. At the sight of the litter of leaves the king asked, as he rode by his chariot, who had cut the leaves off, and he was told that the cripple had done it, thinking that there might be a way to stop the priest's mouth, the king asked where the cripple was, and was shown him sitting at the foot of the tree. Then the king had him brought to him, and, motioning his retinue to stand apart, said to the cripple, ''I have a very talkative priest. Do you think you could stop his talking?'' ''Yes, sire, if I had a pea-shooter full of dry goat's dung,'' said the cripple, Then the king had him taken to the palace and set with a pea-shooter full of dry goat's dung, behind a curtain with a slit in it, facing the priest's seat. When the Brahmin came to wait upon the king and was seated on the seat prepared for him, his majesty started a conversation, and the priest forthwith monopolized the conversation, and no one else could get a word in. Hereon the cripple shot the pellets of goat's dung one by one like flies through the slit in the curtain right into the priest's gullet. And the brahmin swallowed the pellets down as they came, like so much oil, till all had disappeared. When the whole pea-shooter full of pellets was lodged in the priest's stomach, they swelled to the size of half a peck, and the king, knowing they were all gone, addressed the brahmin in these words, reverend sir so talkative are you that you have swallowed down a pea-shooter full of goat's dung without noticing it that's about as much as you will be able to take in a sitting now go home and take a dose of panic seed and water by way of emetic and put yourself right again from that day the priest kept his mouth shut and sat as silent during conversation as though his lips were sealed well my ears are indebted to the cripple for this relief said the king and bestowed on him four villages one in the north one in the south one in the west and one in the east producing a hundred thousand a year the bodhisatta drew near to the king and said in this world sire skill should be cultivated by the wise mere skill in aiming has brought this cripple all this prosperity so saying he uttered this stanza prize skill and note the marksman lame for villagers reward his aim. THE THREE FISHES Once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, there lived in the river of Benares three fishes named Very Thoughtful, Thoughtless, and Duly Thoughtful. And they came downstream from the wild country to where men dwelt. Hereupon Duly Thoughtful said to the other two, This is a dangerous and perilous neighborhood where fishermen catch fish with nets, basket-traps, and such-like tackle. Let us be off to the wild country again. But so lazy were the other two fishes, and so greedy, that they kept putting off their going from day to day, until they had let three months slip by. Now fishermen cast their nets into the water, and very thoughtful and thoughtless were swimming on ahead in quest of food, when in their folly they blindly rushed into the net. duly Thoughtful, who was behind, observed the net and saw the fate of the other two. "'I must save these lazy fools from death,' thought he. So first he dodged round the net and splashed in the water in front of it like a fish that has broken through and gone upstream. And then, doubling back, he splashed about behind it, like a fish that has broken through and gone downstream.' seeing this, the fishermen thought the fish had broken the net and all got away, so they pulled it in one corner and the two fishes escaped from the net into the open water again. This is the way they owed their lives to duly thoughtful. End of section 11